Hello, I'm Audrey Greenberg. Welcome to Money Matters TV. I'm the founder of the Center for Breakthrough Medicines, and my co-host today is Mike Deaver, founder of Brandywine Asset Management. Our guest today is Jorg Algrom, the CEO and president of the Center for Breakthrough Medicines. First, we have a couple questions for Mike. Happy New Year. And I just wanted to, yeah, happy new year. So investors seem to be facing a constant dilemma right now, right? You want to stay invested. You don't want to be sitting on a bunch of cash, but then they don't want to take the risks that are in, in the market right now. The market seems quite lofty. Is it smart to just buy and hold stocks or should they try to time the market to avoid some of these big losses that might be occurring? Well, yeah, that's, I mean, that's the constant question that investors face. And I'd say as an investment manager, the question I get most often from people is what should I do today? You know, should I stay you know, like now, especially because they've made so much money. I, uh, they want to know, should I just stay in? Should I, should I get out? Um, I was, I was at the gym last night and I ran into a, a friend of mine. I used to coach his son at track and he's saying he, he's made more money last year moles than he makes in his, in his day job, in his yeah. retirement fund. And I've been hearing that more and more, you know, people are making outsized gains in their retirement plans and they want to know, should I try to lock that in? Should I continue to ride that? What should I do? Um, there's, there's not an easy answer because it's very difficult to time the market. And, um, I'll show you a chart here. This is the, this is the NASDAQ going back uh, 40 years, 40 plus 50 years. And this is why you hear people say, I, I just stay invested, buy and hold, don't get out of stocks. And when I showed you this, Audrey, in, in the early part of the show, you know, before we came on, you said, oh, I want that. That's great. That's what I wish my portfolio looked like that. And people will say that until you actually see in that chart that you have 80% losses. So you're sitting there and you've grown your account to $100,000, a million dollars, and you lose $800,000 of that million dollars in a matter of a couple of years. So it's almost impossible for people to buy and hold because they, they don't anticipate and they're not prepared for those types of losses. So what you end up seeing is people who are getting into a portfolio, um, they'll, they'll invest in stocks, they'll, they'll ride it, they'll add to it as it keeps going up because it just seems like it's easy. Um, I don't wanna miss out on it. Let's keep making a gain. Um, a, a example I, I use is both my father-in-law and, and, and a good friend of the family who's in his late 80s. They, they have both made so much more money in the last few years than they anticipated having in their retirements, but they're not getting out. And they're at the point where, you know, they, they've got more money than they're going to spend. You know, you can only eat so many pizzas in retirement or whatever it might be they're doing, <laughs> but they don't want to sell it because they don't want to lose the upside gains. So the question or they're posed, scared of the tax, tax there's tax issues as well. Um, and, and I constantly stress to investors, don't let that tax tail, you know, wag the dog. It's uh, you've, you've got to do what's the right thing to do with your portfolio. And if you've got enough for what you're planning on, and they both had enough a couple of years ago, so they have more than enough now. Um, so I posed the question to them, said, well, if it goes up another 50%, you know, how's that going to feel? Oh, that'd be great. Well, what if it drops 50%? Because it's not that uncommon that that could happen as well. And uh, they go, oh, that, that could really change things. So my 
they just answered the question, you know, for them on what they should do. And at that age, they should be getting out of those portfolios. Um, as a younger age, there's an argument to, to just ride through these losses. And I think the biggest argument is this, this next chart I want to show you here, which is this is from Dalbar. Dalbar is a, a group that measures the performance, the actual performance of investors based on the weighted flows in and out of mutual funds and ETFs versus those actual funds performances. And what this shows you, and this is very consistent over the decades, what this shows you is that the average investor has actual results that are as much as 5% less per year on average than the performance of the funds into which they invest. So what that means is they just got into the fund and held it. They would get, for example, in a stock fund, that growth on the left um, of $50,000, but instead, they add money when it's going up, they take money out after it's gone down and they end up with less than, less than $20,000 in that. Um, and and this, this is a rolling 20 year window that we're looking at here. And this rolling 20 year window is very consistent over the last few decades and same with bond funds. So the reason that you hear the preaching of buy and hold is because people are just so poor at market timing. They, they want to add money at the wrong time and they want to take money out at the wrong time. So the, the, the buy and hold tends to be the mantra. Um, I tend to, we have products that we develop that are designed to protect people on the downside. So they can actually call it a smarter way to buy and hold. So they can actually buy and hold, but there's protection. So in an environment like we have now where the markets are highly valued, um, have gone up significantly over the last few years, they, they're in a position where if it, if it drops, we could protect them from substantial portion of that downside. Um, it may not catch the whole upside, but over time, over a full cycle, by minimizing those losses, you're able to, to actually earn greater returns because you're recovering from higher levels. Um, for the, the investors who aren't in a product like that, um, I think some of the things that you want to do is, is just at least rebalance the portfolios you have. So it doesn't mean necessarily try to time it and get in and out, but when you've got technology, for example, that's run like it has so dramatically in the last decade, um, and that's what NASDAQ was really showing, and, and it is that it's, it's just accelerated in its performance. When you've got a market like that, start reallocating. Um, pull some of that money from the hot sectors and move it into some of those sectors that have been less performing um, over the last decade. That, that's one way to not necessarily be market timing, but through a asset allocation rebalancing, adjust your portfolio to reduce the risk over time. Got it. And you do that between stocks and bonds, or you're doing that between different sectors within the stock market, or what do you yes. And then how are you hedging against this upside? You're using options? Yes. Yeah, so, okay. So the first question is how you do that. Um, I don't recommend people have any money in bonds. I think it's ridiculous that, um, People right now, especially with inflation running over 6%, that's the published number. You know, who knows what the real numbers are? Because I, I think there's some flaws in the way that's published that don't reflect on what an actual person buying products in the grocery store is facing. But um, if you've got 6% inflation and government bonds yielding less than 2%, uh, you're, you're locking in a loss. And, and so you, you don't want to do that. So. I don't think there should be any money in bonds. I think money should be, there should be some reserve fund and cash if at all possible. Um, and then there should be the rest of the money in a, a broad mix of assets. 
equities being one of that, stocks being one of that, uh, that, that portion of assets, but um, keep it by reallocating is what we're doing. There. It was what I'm saying. It's not so much um, making big changes in moving from stocks to real estate or bonds, but within the portfolio you have, move from the things that have outperformed dramatically into things that have underperformed, yeah. over, say a five, 10 year period. What so we, we do have, we do have one question from the audience from Greg, yeah. Greg Mason in Philadelphia says for the next few years, what is a better investment? And maybe this will touch on some of the things you're about to talk about growth or value. Okay. Um, I have a chart for that. Uh, so yeah. <laughs> Love your so chart. This, yeah. This, this chart, it shows the growth and value spread um, over the last 40 years. And what you'll see, and this is, so if you bought growth stocks relative to value stocks, divided by value stocks. So when it's peaking, like it did there in 2000, that's when growth stocks are just totally outperforming value stocks. And when it hits that trough, like it did in the financial crisis, that's when value stocks have outperformed, growth stocks have come down dramatically in relation. What you're seeing today is we're at the highest level in that ratio that we've had in the last 40 years, sparring the 2000 dot-com boom that we had. So we're in a position now where growth stocks have dramatically outperformed value stocks. And I think it's probably a, um, a good idea. What I would recommend is people start shifting away from the growth stocks, reallocating money into the value stocks. And it, it very well could be that we see something like we saw in the 2000s, where value stocks outperform growth stocks by, by more than two to one. And I think we're in that kind of a scenario again where that could Okay. Well, if there's anyone else out there that wants to submit their questions, here's how you send your questions to Money Matters TV. You can have your questions answered on Money Matters. Please go to our website, money-matters-tv.com. On our homepage, click on the banner on the right that says, send us your questions. While you're on our website, you can find information about our host and guests, as well as show notes and links about this show and past shows. Money Matters is also available as a podcast on iTunes and Stitcher, so you can listen to Money Matters while you're on the go. That website address, again, is money, M-O-N-E-Y-Matters, M-A-T-T-E-R-S-T-V.com. So with that, we turn our attention now to Jorg Albrum, our guest and president and CEO of the Center for Breakthrough Medicines. Uh, one of the hot sectors this past year in the stock market has been biotech and pharma services. We're interested to hear more about the Center for Breakthrough Medicine. So welcome, Jorg. Thanks for having me, Audrey. Yeah. So what is the Center for Breakthrough Medicines and um, how long have you been with the firm? How did you decide to join? Center for Breakthrough Medicines is a contract development and manufacturing organization focused on advanced therapies. We are located in the King of Prussia area uh, close to Philadelphia. And we have one mission, and this is to provide technologies, processes, systems, and capacity in order to enable our clients to advance uh, their therapies to the market faster and to make sure that they can do everything they can in order to basically save lives. Because most of the therapies our clients are working on, and we together with them, are there for life-threatening uh, diseases. So it's very critical for us to play a vital role there. In order to do that, we're actually standing up in the Philadelphia region here in, in this King of Prussia area, over 700,000 square feet of GMP and laboratory spaces, as well as supporting spaces in the area of plasma manufacturing, viral vector manufacturing, cell processing and testing 
so that we can provide our clients a complete end-to-end -end solutions for everything they need around advanced therapies uh, services. I decided to join this company over uh, 15 months ago, quit my corporate job at the time, uh, because I'm actually passionate about saving lives. And I worked in healthcare my whole life. I got into it by accident, but I stayed in healthcare my whole life because I think it's so rewarding to work in an environment where you have a direct impact on, on people's lives. And I strongly believe that the science around cell and gene therapy or advanced therapy is, is working. And there's a big topic to be solved right now. And that's the topic around getting these therapies to the market, develop them and have manufacturing processes which actually work. That's what I'm passionate about. And that's the reason why I joined this company and why we are building CBM. Yeah, and you definitely would need a team of people to help you. Are you guys doing a lot of hiring? And how are you dealing with that in this crazy market environment with the labor shortages that exist? So while I completely agree the market is crazy right now in many different ways, we actually have been able to attract top talent from all sectors, you know, in the industry. We have great folks which backgrounds, uh, with, with backgrounds from CDMO organization, but also from innovator companies, because we believe that blending those two capabilities, cultures and skill sets helps us to provide our customers a more intimate offer and a closer connection on a partnership level. So hiring actually goes very well for us. And we have been able to attract last year, 2021, over 100 people to join us. And our plan is to hire 500 this year. Fantastic. Yeah, that's 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 phenomenal. And um, so obviously you, you've got great talent that you're bringing in. Uh, how, what would you describe as being your leadership style? How do you get the best out of that talent? So I'm a very participative leader, and I tr truly believe that leadership is basically around hope and clarity. And clearly what we have to offer in, in CBM is a lot of hope because we are in a high growing business, in a very rewarding business, a very emo emotionally attached uh, business. So that's clearly one area of how we attract people and how we bring them in. From a leadership style, personally, I'm an open door uh, person which, who favors direct communication. Everybody always knows with me where they stand and where the, where the true north is, which direction we have to go. But everybody also knows that I'm very clear in terms of things which are not going well. And I think so far, most people actually appreciate that open you know, two-way communication. And I'm also very clear on what the excitement is, which we are generating and why it makes sense to join us and I do believe that I am able to pro create an environment where people bring their fullest to, to the workspace. Yeah. How have you dealt with that with COVID? It seems like a lot of people are working remotely. A lot of millennial workers want the flexibility. Uh, you guys are a lab-based business, right? A lot of people are working in the lab, probably need to be in the lab. So how do you deal with COVID and the rise of Omicron and, and what's happening at CBM to deal with all that? So clearly we are a business where any value we create has to do with somebody standing in a lab or a gmp suite and touching something so we have to have roughly two-thirds of our workforce actually physically on site in order to conduct our business so knowing that we actually primarily focus on protecting the workforce uh, despite the fact that they have to come to work and our ability to have most people working remote is, is uh, limited to roughly one third or maximum 50%, depending on where we exactly are. So clearly from that point of view, our focus is protecting the workforce. We test our people uh, regularly. 
uh, we, we you know have follow all the CDC requirements um, and we allow for work from home you know as, as much as possible but it is very limited and, and I think people understand that the uh, therapies we are working on requires them to come to the workplace what um, so the the fact they have to be there and that's King of Prussia is that yes. the, so that they have to come in they have to be in King of Prussia really as you're, you're saying they have to be touching equipment they, they've got to yes. be yeah. so, um, what kind of hours are they working what's the culture like in that environment uh do they is it fun work i mean is it you know what i i have like my son's going to uh school right now he's going to come out doing programming to him it's like computer games it's it's doing anything with computers is is playing a game so he loves that are are these that these types of people and what's the environment like in the culture that keeps them motivated and with you in such a competitive environment so Clearly, we are fostering an environment where people have fun coming to work. Now, not every day is fun, but for the most part, I think people are just excited about the mission we have as a company. And the fact that anything they do contributes to the development of a therapy, which eventually treats or cures a disease, which today many times ends deadly, is a highly rewarding aspect of the work we are doing. So, and I think that creates in itself an environment which really brings the best out of people. Next to creating a team culture where folks have everything they need in order to, in an agile way, move forward. So we try to reduce bureaucracy or not even implement them because we are a startup. So it's really up to us to do this as efficiently as we can. And we foster a lot of teamwork. We actually have one of the highest turnouts of our bi-weekly uh, happy hours uh, company-wide, which I ever experienced in the 24 years I'm actually at the workplace. So right now, our company culture works very well. And despite COVID, despite all of these um, you know, circumstances, we actually see great responses from the workforce. And they are all very happy right now to, to work for us and with us and be successful as a team. Yeah. So what are you seeing in terms of improvements to to the processes that you're working on? My understanding is that gene therapies and cell therapies are very bespoke. There's not a lot of standardization. It, it's difficult to make a repeatable manufacturing process. Have you, are you seeing any changes in that? How do we bring the cost of goods sold down on these therapies to get more patients the cures that they need? Yeah, I mean, it clearly is a bit different depending on what area of, of uh, advanced therapies you talk about. So let's just focus on two. Uh, on the gene therapy side, I think we are seeing significant advancement in terms of moving from uh, more adherent uh, suspension processes to or adherent processes to suspension processes. And uh, I do I do see you know a lot of efforts in getting the yields higher which then in turn ensures that less virus has to be injected, which then improves the safety profile of the respective product. So a lot of work goes into this one next to automation of uh, unit operations and you removing you know, humans as much as possible from the process so that uh, you, know, you can work in an error-free environment. And then on the cell therapy side, I think the whole end-to-end -end integration, specifically when it comes to autologous manufacturing, which means that you take an example directly from the patient, you bring it to the facility, you do whatever you need to do in order to process that sample and, 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 and alter the cells in some form or fashion, and then you bring it back to that patient. So a lot of uh, uh, improvement which we see right now happens on that whole supply chain from the hospital 
to the facility, through the facility, back to the hospital, and then making sure that the process in the facility on these very repetitive, uh, you know, operations is as efficient and optimized as possible. And also here, taking humans out of the process in order to ensure complete aseptic processing. It, so a couple times in that statement, you were talking about um, reducing, essentially reducing headcount, or at least reducing the amount of people necessary to do any single process, automating it more. Where do you see that leading the industry? Where do you see that going in 10 years? Will there be will the automation be more dominant and more important than the the people or how, how will that work yeah so i think what the key is is to make sure that the direct interaction of a human with the process in an open environment is to be reduced as much as possible because that introduces the risk of contamination to the product almost by the nature of, of what it is while what i see the human capital or the human work to to evolve to more and more and more is really to master the automation and be able to control those processes in a more distant way while we hope that automation takes care of the exact uh, specific manufacturing process mm -hmm. and how has it been located in philadelphia versus other potential biotech clusters have you seen any benefits of being located in philly and how did you guys pick this area so I don't think we necessarily picked it. Um, we actually get, got to it because uh, our founder has been, always been living in this area and he found this great uh, location we are in, bought it and decided to build a, and found the company in. And um, I had facilities in my previous lives in almost every other part of the world. And so far I see that uh, here in the Philadelphia region, it's comparably easier to attract talent. And this, most likely comes from the fact that large pharma is still contracting and, uh, you know, changing their operations in, in some form or fashion. The fact that we have an enormous amount of great universities around these areas, which have a lot of folks, you know, um, applicant, not applicant, but a lot of um, folks uh, finishing basically their degrees every year and, and then come to industry. So I think those two things are helping a lot. And there's a vital, vibrant uh, industry here in Philadelphia is a very attractive place to live uh, next to the surrounding area. So all of this in my eyes makes it right now somewhat comparably easier to hire here in the Philadelphia area. Does that mean you have no plans for expansion or other offices outside of Philadelphia? I mean, your, your background, you're, you're, you're German, um, you've got yeah. international skills. Uh, do, you, do you see expanding that internationally at all? Or? Absolutely. The way we build our site here is to make sure that all the great processes and systems we are building is actually, you know, can be copied and pasted someplace else. And some of those, ter those therapies even demand the fact that you have to present or produce more respectively in that, in that region. So we will over time expand in other parts of the world and have uh, plans to, to do so. Yeah. How quickly do you think your space will be online in King of Prussia? What do you have operational now and, and what's going to be operational, let's say, the end of this year or the end of next year? Yeah, we went online last year in April with analytical development, process development labs, um, roughly 15,000 square feet. We are coming online this year with GMP operations for viral vector as well as cell therapy, our first um, roughly 60,000, 70,000 square feet. And then we built out throughout the next 24 to 36 months, a total of 700,000 square feet 
including surrounding uh, support spaces like warehouse and, and office. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I recently read that you, I think at the end of last year, that um, you guys have a new financial partner. Can you tell us a little bit about that release, that press release? Absolutely. So we have been able to uh, attract uh, one of the uh, very large, you know, uh, conglomerates from investment companies from uh, South Korea, SK Inc., to be our strategic investment partner. And we have closed that uh, transaction actually the day before Christmas. This was our Christmas present and SK <laughs> is investing $350 million into the Center for Breakthrough Medicines, which will allow us to now expeditiously uh, implement all of these great plans we have and help our clients bring those life-saving therapies to their patients. So the clients, is that the, the expansion plan you had was pretty hockey stick, it sounds like, uh, where you go from some tens of thousands to hundreds of thousands of square feet over the next three years. Is that right? It actually is somewhat of a, let's say, not too much of a hockey stick. It just appears this way if you take 2021 into consideration. But if you take now as a starting point, it's actually a straight line, but a very steep one. Right. The right. next 36 months. And, and will all that expansion, will that end up in King of Prussia? Or is that going to be outside the area? Yeah. So right now, what I spoke about is really here in the King of Prussia area. Any expansion outside King of Prussia would add to that from a space point of view. Yeah, that's phenomenal growth. Yeah. And how does SK, do you think you'll have some international presence with the introduction of SK to the party? Absolutely. From my point of view, this will uh, speed up our plans to, to go international. They already have uh, an investment in, in France, majority owned, which I'm sure we'll be working with. And uh, they are a Korean-based company, and uh, South Korea is actually one of the is the country with the most approved therapies in that space. So the likelihood of us working with SK and moving rather quickly into an Asian presence is is pretty high. And I would actually think that is some one thing which will be will be happening soon. Yeah. Yeah. So what about, I, I noticed you guys are located at the Discovery Labs campus. So you have some interesting neighbors there. Um, do you work closely with any of the other tenants on the site? And how do you like being located at the Discovery Labs? So one vision of our founder, Brian O'Neill, is to create within a one mile radius around uh, this facility we are in here right now, a, a vibrant and, and uh, you know, great co um, um existing environment for biotech companies, CFBM as, as the CDMO, but also universities and other technology partners. So we actually are sharing this building here, the legacy GSK on um, the headquarter with, for example, GSK. We announced, uh, Discovery Labs announced last year that um, the uh, gene therapy program of, of University of Pennsylvania and, and uh, from led by Jim Wilson will be moving into this building. We have Wushi Biologics here and other, other few companies. So we are actually working here very closely with, uh, with partners, potential partners, technology partners. And um, that's really a nice environment which is being created here in this one mile radius. Interesting, interesting. So what what keeps you up at night? What are you most worried about? Is it something at the company? Is it the market? What are you is anything stressful in the near term? Well, I think given COVID and all of the uh, high demands for um, for uh, biotech 
production in general created a lot of supply chain constraints in the industry. So, and us being able to execute our pretty aggressive uh, build out plans, despite those supply chain challenges and getting the right equipment at the right time and all the right ingredients and what have you is uh, definitely one part of the concern and a, a lot of the focus next to making sure that, you know, or, or seeing to some extent that the macroeconomic environments stay as positive as they are right now, which needs to be continuously fueled by clinical success of those therapies. And I think we have seen a few of, uh, you know, challenges in, in clinical um, success in the last couple of months in the gene therapy field. So continuing to see a good a flow of good news and make sure that the investment levels in this industry stays the same is very important. And then last but not least, while it is comparably easier to hire in Philadelphia, we have an ambitious goal to find another 500 highly talented people in 2022 to join us in our great culture. And I, that's clearly another big area of, con of concern, but also excitement for me. Yeah. Well, thank you, Jörg, for that wonderful interview. Uh, it was great to have Jörg Algram, CEO and president of the Center for Breakthrough Medicines. And as always, it's a pleasure with Mike at Brandywine Asset Management. Thank you so much. And thank you all out there for watching Money Matters TV. Our next guest will be Mark Watkinson of Watkinson Capital Advisors. So we'll see you next time when we're talking to Mark. Thank you.